Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Animation Conversation. I'm Rusty here with my co-host. What's up, party people? It's your old pal, F. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Animation Conversation. I'm Rusty here with my pal. Hey, everybody. Uh, what's up, party people? It's your old pal, F. There we go, F. So uh, today we've got a special guest, Uh I, we are going I'm, I'm to break the internet again. Yeah, we're going to let we're going to let F uh, run with this one. This is another one of uh, F's uh, buddies from 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 animation's past. That's right. I I uh, I could go down this uh, fella's resume, but uh, uh, it would just it would just be so lengthy and and so. Uh, it's actually so available online at EricTrueHeart.com if you're interested right. in seeing his full resume. And as Rusty has just revealed, uh, my uh, old pal from uh, both Klasky Chupo and Invader Zim, uh, Eric Trueheart, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, my, my hello. First of all, welcome, uh, welcome to me. Um, I don't. You're not supposed to welcome the hosts. I, I, I'm trying to be very, you know, polite, but I realize I've completely inverted the relationship by saying welcome. So let's just forget I said that. And uh, <laughs> my resume is not that extensive. Uh, but um, but Invader Zim is 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 near the front of it. So I will give you that. But thank you now, for having me. It's great to be here. It's it's great to see you. I you and I have not literally have probably not spoken or or seen each other's faces in this type of capacity or in any no. kind of capacity in over a decade probably so this is this is very exciting for me and what's going to be great is uh i'm i'm going to enrage invader zim fans by insisting that we spend the whole time talking about your time on Klasky chupo Oh great! I mean, it's a PDA well, well, I'm, I'm, I, well. There's, yeah. well, that's the thing is, is I've watched a lot of interviews that you've done on, on other podcasts and things like that, and uh, a lot of it is geared towards Invader Zim, and that's one of the things that me and F are trying to do with this podcast is mm -hmm. go away from the traditional questions that you're being asked about the stuff that you know that you're most known for, because I already know what you're known for. I want to know all the other things that you've done because uh, mm -hmm. if you're that fast, if it's that fascinating of a thing that you've done, Invader Zim, there, there's got to be a yeah. slew of other other things that are that are fascinating. Uh, well, I did I did run guns for the CIA oh, uh, wow. in Nicaragua in 1986. Okay, uh, a, I'm now a, finally allowed to talk about that. The whole freeway and, Ricky Ross thing. Okay, <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah. There's also there's there's nothing more fun than a uh, an angry frothing uh, mob of Invader Zim fans. Uh, so you know, let's really piss them off just by now. Yeah, I don't know what I would have to tell them now at this point that they haven't heard already, but, yeah. um, you know, I can make stuff up. I'm totally well, one of the, one of the first things, <laughs> one of the first things I always, uh, and, and this has probably driven you nuts for many, many years, but whenever I introduce you, um, one of the first things that always pops into my head is Eric here is a Harvard grad. And now growing up in in the, uh, you know, in the Boonhicks of Kalamazoo, Michigan, you know, Harvard was sort of like Oz 
or Wonderland. You know, it was one of those places you heard you know, about like a, a prison. HBO made a series about. Right. Yeah. No, no, it, it was it was like Wonderland <laughs> or Narnia. You know, it was like this mm -hmm. magical place that you weren't sure actually existed. Mm -hmm. um, but now, now when you were in, when you were attending Harvard, did yes. you did you dream of of uh, scripting for aliens and robots or? You know, in a way, I did. Um, uh, Harvard is a uh, is an interesting place, and it is a tough place too. Um, as I learned very quickly, uh, I was you know coming out of high school and the sort of person I was in high school, and then getting into college. Like I was, I was a bit of a. Uh, I guess this goes for a lot of people who are like eighteen, but I was a bit of a neurotic mess, um, and so probably didn't make the most of my education experience there that I could have. However, what I will say is that they have. You know, Harvard is a very academic institution. So if you're, you know, you're studying science, you're studying science, you're studying sure. government, or if you're studying, you know, history, philosophy, those sorts of things, um, mathematics, they're, they're, they got you. If you're studying literature, you want to think. When it comes to actually making things, which is what I wanted to do, like make movies and stuff, mm -hmm. they're not as into the idea of you making things. They're into the <laughs> idea of you studying things. Interesting. And, um, so they have a, what they call, I wanted to like sort of major in film and they have a, what they call a visual studies department. Um, actually it's visual and environmental studies because it includes architecture in the building. It covers everything from oh, film, wow. photography, architecture, painting, sculpture, drawing. And they take like 20 people a year into that, into that major. And, uh, you know, my grades were kind of, um, uh, what's the shitty, uh, my first, so um, I he's, didn't get. He's in. a real wordsmith, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, you know. Um, well, hey, look, you know, as a screenwriter, you write colloquial dialogue. That's your job. So right. um, you know, you you don't want to come up with words that an actor is going to have trouble saying. Right. So um, unless that character that they're playing says words that most people have trouble saying. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, so I was not able to get into that and study like I wanted to, and um, so I sort of spent the rest of the time finding the easiest degree I could get, which was an English degree. Um, and I was not back then sort of what I would say on top of my game enough to like try out for the lampoon or anything like that. I was uh, going to say they have a long, you know, long uh, tradition of, of comedy and uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that, that kind of uh, parody and, and um, you know, uh, that, that kind of writing was, what was the environment like there for that? Was there a, you know, did you fall in with a group of other people who are like, yeah, we're the next we're the next generation of. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't. And if I had gotten on the lampoon, I might have, um, <laughs> you know, I was very much, uh, you know, kind of a loner type guy with I had a few friends and and that sort of thing. But, you know, was not, you know, uh, as like I said, it was not as as outgoing, I did not take it much advantage of as I should. And I will say that the lampoon is a very competitive uh, thing to get into. Um, even more so now, apparently, apparently it's even worse now than it's ever been because wow. just, and yeah, but, and what's interesting is that it, the people just sort of a few years before I got there in the lampoon, people like Conan O'Brien and, um, now, now names is escaping. Greg me. Daniels, writer on the Simpsons. And yeah, there was, a there was a bunch of people in lampoon who went on to do all kinds of cool things like work the Simpsons and King of the Hill. Brian actually, uh, Greg Daniels, he was Greg Daniels did King of the Hill. He was, he was also a part of that, uh, national lampoon. Yeah. And yeah. I was talking to, um, one of those guys who, again, I'm so uh, blank on. He was, he was head of the WGA for a while. So I was talking about strike stuff, Patrick Verone. 
uh and he was an awesome amazing guy and he was saying like because we talked about the subject of the harvard the, the so-called quote harvard mafia came up <laughs> which is this theory in which you know if you have if you went to harvard you've got this amazing job waiting for you right. in, in hollywood and everyone who went to harvard watches each other's back which is complete bullshit it doesn't happen at all but um he did say he said i don't think there's so much a mafia but there was that group of people who graduate who were wrote for the lampoon during that period uh who sort of had a lot of same point of view on things and had a lot of the same goals and sort of everybody sort of like went off into the entertainment business at the same time to all do all kinds of interesting things, um, you know, and they all sort of knew each other from them. So it wasn't so much a mafia as a group of people who knew each other um, and then were out to do crime organized uh, in a way that would benefit their families by stealing goods, selling them. I'm actually describing an actual mafia. Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, but, it's, um, it's funny. You're you're our you're the second guest we've had on this show. And you're the second guest to describe um, uh, his school as having had a mafia because we are. Our, our first guest was Rob Renzetti, the creator of my life as a teenage robot who described mm -hmm. the Cal arts the Cal Arts Mafia, right, right. You, you've got the Harvard Lampoon. Uh, you've got the, you know, Harvard with the with the uh, uh, the Harvard, Harvard and the Lampoon. Mafia. Yeah, and it's it's funny because each time either of you mention those things, you know, you you mentioned you weren't uh, you you didn't feel uh, either compelled or or worthy or whatever to uh, even try and get in that group. I felt the same way about Cal Arts. I never bothered applying to Cal Arts because I yeah. knew that it would take me. Um, yeah. But you at least got into Harvard. I did get into Harvard. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I had trouble getting out of bed uh, in those that period in my life. So getting into the lampoon and actually having to talk to a bunch of people all the time was probably more than I was capable of. So so uh, a young a young Eric Trueheart graduates with a with a Harvard English degree. Yep. What then uh, set your sails to the uh, sunny shores of Los Angeles? Well, I had spent a year. I went back to my hometown for about a year uh, because Which just is. because family hookup was like, oh, hey, we know this guy working at a film and who owns a little film production company. How would you like to work there? And I said, well, there's a job set up, you know, and sure, why not? And I'll go back to my hometown for a little while. And it was and, and it was this is Rochester, New York. Mm. Um which is a city uh, um, that really wants to be interesting um, <laughs> and, and has not figured out how to pull it off. Um, but it was the birthplace of Kodak and, and sure. a lot of, I think on some of it wishes it could be Portland, um, yeah. but there's too many people who don't even know what Portland is. So um, it, it's just not going to happen. Um, but uh, I went there for a while. I worked for this little film and video production company making um, uh, like, 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 bad local ads and like you know point of sale trade show videos and you know uh i i spent um i literally edited uh 11 separate videos for dupont herbicides that were going to be <laughs> mailed by vhs tapes to farmers all over the midwest that is awesome that is pretty awesome yeah do you have any of those thing ever do you happen to yeah. know where any of now, those tapes see, are this is this oh. is really this is really fascinating because this is something you and I should have talked about ages ago. Mm -hmm. I never knew this about you. And yet th this is how I got my start in animation as well. 
is there was a local um, commercial house that did local commercials and stuff like that. And they did every now and then they do little bits of animation. And whenever people ask me, how do I get my start? Because there's this, there's this huge, you know, conundrum, the, the whole, you can't get a job without experience and you can't get experience without a job. I right. tell everybody, every town has at least one of these things, one of these local little production houses. Yeah. And for me anyway, it was a great, it was a great place to get, you know, sort of experience. And it sounds like you not only, you know, you learned editing and stuff there. Yes. I mean. Yeah. And I will say this, and I didn't mean to cut off uh, uh, your, your partner there because you, you started at the same time. So, and um, John's volume is a little higher for whatever reason. I'm more uh, obnoxious. Okay. Well, that <laughs> I, I've learned to accommodate that. Um uh yeah um i learned ed so yeah the one the one good thing about this place is that um and there were nice people and everything was cool but i just began to get depressed as fuck working on just this stuff <laughs> and um but i learned they had one of the first non-linear linear editing systems and in 1990 whatever it was two or or or, or yeah or three or whatever and they had um there were two systems back then one was called avid and the other was called emc2 and they, of course, invested in the wrong system, EMC2, <laughs> and Avid went on to become <laughs> the, the industry standard for a while there. And um, But I learned nonlinear editing, which nobody knew at that point. And just the whole concept of nonlinear editing is something that I've been doing, been able to carry with me on my own projects uh, forever. That's been like a lifelong skill. And I also learned Photoshop. I, I actually paid for... Photoshop version 2.0 with my own money <laughs> and learned Photoshop back then and and had st have stuck with Photoshop ever since until it got too stupid in an expensive subscription system and you couldn't bootleg it anymore. So, um, I mean, look, my thought was if I'm not earning a living with Photoshop, I, sh I don't need to pay. I paid for it back in 1993, right. um, you know, so <laughs> I, I feel like I have legacy rights. Um, but anyway, both of those things were skills. I will always be grateful to learning those skills at that place. But at a certain point, I'm like, I can't make another one of these videos. I, I decided I had to move to Los Angeles. Uh, and this might be the other step piece of, of the piece of advice you give these people. Uh, uh, eventually, you have to move to Los Angeles. And the the big thing or or New York or, you know, or 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 Atlanta or any place that's doing stuff, fun stuff. Like if you want to get an entertainment um Entertainment is done out of certain places or but these days it's more remote. You know, you can you can you can probably hook yourself up a lot of places. Actually, now everything's so remote. But I moved to Los Angeles uh, because I was like, even if I'm working on something terrible, I want to be working on something that everyone who's watching it has chosen to watch as opposed to <laughs> the shit between the shows. Or I have to watch this because it's my job or it's playing on a video screen in a trade show. I felt like nothing we did was anything someone would voluntarily watch. <laughs> um, so I uh, I decided to move to L.A. And, uh, and, you know, and did you did you know people in L.A.? Were you did I you? Oh, one person. I knew one person in LA. And, and so. how how did you how did you wind up? Because when I first met you, mm -hmm. um, uh, you were you were at Klasky Chupo uh, on the Wild Thornberries uh, yeah. in, in at least the the building the same building that I was in. Um, how how did you wind up at Klasky Chupo? And tell me tell me how that all came to be because uh, I don't think I've ever heard this story. Um, that's because it's not that interesting. No, oh, I mean. Good. 
It, it well, I mean, long story short, I had uh, I'd been taking classes at the Groundlings. I, a friend of mine who I made in those classes was working at Klasky Chupo and sort of like the, their marketing director. He was, he was working very closely with like Arlene and, and Gabor, who owned the studio. Um, he, he was, you know, giving them back rubs or or, or whatever. <laughs> That's not true. None of that is true. But um, he was working with Arlene and Gabor. And anyway, he said, he said, and I had just graduated first of grad school. I went to USC for grad school. Not necessary if you want to write for cartoons, but uh, just sort of how it happened. And he said, oh, you know, do you, do you want a job? I can, there's a PA job at the Thornberries. And um, I said, yeah, of course. So like a lot of things. And so I got in, you'll be making photocopies and, and you know, and uh, maybe even getting people's coffee, which nobody asked me to do. And, uh, you know, just doing all the grunt work. And I'm like, that's fine. I just, I'll, I'll be in the loop. It'll be awesome. And, uh, and that's, and that's what I did. Um no. Actually, did I do that before grad school? No, I may have done it before grad school. Now that I think about it, I don't it's, remember. It's funny, isn't it? Like the, the more I think back on this really, really early, you know, canon material, the fuzzier it all gets. Like, I know. What what year did you work on Thornberries? What year was that? It was either 96 or 97. Okay. That I'll may have been about. right after I graduated. That may have been. I and, always, in my head, it's always 1966 or 65. <laughs> right. The well, see, Beatles what's funny, Revolver had just come out. Um, right. <laughs> you know. What's what's funny is whenever I whenever I think back to those times, um, I think to myself, OK, it was either, you know, 1996 or 1997. And then I think to um, uh, being at our, our pal Sean Murray's house when, you know, 1999 became the year 2000. Mm -hmm. And how much had happened in between like four years now feels like that. Whereas back yeah. then that felt like an eternity, like so yeah. much happened. So how, how did you go from uh, being a PA at Klasky Chupo to your, to your first, you know, full-time writing? Right. Um, I stabbed a man outside the <laughs> Ralph's uh, <laughs> and in his dying breath, he passed me a piece of his soul. Nice. And it turns out that piece of that soul old Nickelode old Nickelodeon a favor. <laughs> and um, the next day, a man dressed entirely in orange turned up at my door, <laughs> punched me in the neck, uh, which, Ooh, the neck. Uh, yeah, in the neck. Fortunately, the side of the neck, not the front of the neck. That, that could have been trouble. Um, and right. I said, ow, don't do that. And he said, no. well, you have a you now have a karmic obligation and, you know, put me in the back of a van and uh, drove me around several times. So I wouldn't know where we were going, but then drove up in front of Nickelodeon and I saw the sign. So it's like, dude, this isn't you, you're bad at your job. Yeah. Uh, yeah. OK, so <laughs> no, the truth is um, I I had come off of uh, at a USC. I was lucky I had somebody who, who wanted to manage me um, and they used to be a lawyer. They were a lawyer and they were a fantastic lawyer. And um, one of the things you learn later in life is that the skills that make you a fantastic lawyer make you a terrible manager. Uh, because uh, lawyers are out to look for problems and <laughs> ways you're going to get fucked over. And managers are always out to look for solutions and opportunities, you know, <laughs> so um, you need both, I guess. But um, anyway, but this they got me a job. They got me an agent uh, at a place called Writers and Artists, I think, which no longer exists, like most agencies. And <laughs> they said, oh, hey, there's this Nickelodeon show happening. And it's going to an alien, blah, blah, blah. And I had written a uh, spec South Park uh, back then. 
and it was if I read it now, I'd be horrified, I'm sure. <laughs> and and that was back to uh, I don't know what the style is now, but I think it is still once upon a time. They wanted to see if you wanted to be a writer, they wanted to see that you'd written a spec episode of somebody else's show. Right. Um, to prove that you could write in some other voice. So everyone had like a spec Seinfeld or a spec right. Simpsons or a spec, you know, I had a, I had a spec South Park. Um, and uh, it was um, and uh, and so and they and I, they gave it to Jonan Vasquez, who was who was running the show. And apparently he liked it enough. And probably because I had this thing where like Cartman, you know, eats uh Cartman, like they they all accidentally take acid and Cartman ends up starting a religion based around bacon or something like that. And because it was a pork joke, I think Jonan was really into it. <laughs> so um I met with Mary Harrington and uh who was the executive, and she said, Oh, hey, you know, nice to meet you. Glad glad to, you know, they always say in the business, they meet you to see they want to meet you in person to, to quote, make sure you don't have two heads. It basically right. make sure you're not crazy or or have right. or smell bad. And she said, oh, this this is the show, Jonah Vasquez and blah, blah, blah. Here, I'll give you some of Jonah's comics. And why don't you, um, you know, uh, write. Uh, and if you want to pitch pitch some story ideas, Jonah really liked your thing. Um, so and that weekend I was going up to the Bay Area to see uh, my sister. And as I when I got there, I was hanging out. I started reading uh, Squee. Mm. I think it was Squee or Johnny. I think it was Squee. And I began, and the whole time I'm like, I don't know, Nickelodeon, man. I'm like, this is the direction I want to go in in my career. I was really hoping for something a little weirder, a little edgier. You know, I was hoping I'd get on The Simpsons or something like that. And, <laughs> and you know, and then I get up there and I start reading Jonan's comics, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this could be cool. Yeah, and you know, this they're letting him do a Nickelodeon show. This could be really cool. So I came back, you know, I pitched him a few ideas. The ones he liked was, uh, you know, and you write up little one sentence pictures, uh, two a few sentences. And he, one he liked was Bad Bad Rubber Piggy, went away and wrote the outline for that. And and basically they said, why don't we bring you on for 13 weeks? And if that works out, we'll we'll keep you. And if it doesn't, huh. we will um, silence you forever. And well, and as as it as it had turned out, um, you know, you who had begun at Klasky Chupo got brought on as a writer there, and like half of the storyboard staff on that show yes. were were also people from the Wild Thornberries. Um, mm -hmm. people people that I had learned a storyboard from, and as I've as I've famously told, you know, because they were all getting in there, I had the opportunity to storyboard on Invader Zim as well, and regretfully, I said no, I don't want to board. I, I want to be a character designer. And oddly enough, Jonan, you know, hired me to be a character designer. But point is, all these people from Klasky Chupo were suddenly on Invaders. Yep. And now you tell me if I'm remembering it, this, if I'm remembering this incorrectly, but you're I mean, remembering this incorrectly. No, oh, oh, you no. want me to hear it first. Oh, um, I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, and again, I, I'll apologize to Rusty for not letting him talk. But, no, you're um, good. This is I'm like DJ Khaled. You know what I mean? I bring right. the whole, I'm bringing it all together. Another but one. At, at the time, at the time that 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 I got hired, you got hired, and we all got brought on. Um, a the the response that everyone had whenever you told them, you know, I'm working on a show at Nickelodeon created by Joan and Vasquez. They were like, Joan and Vasquez is doing a show at Nickelodeon. That was mm -hmm. their first response, and then the second response is um how do i get on that show like this is the show that was was it like that for you like this was the show everyone wanted to get on 
Well, I wasn't really in the animation loop, so I didn't know. Like oh. I, I just had gotten on the show. Like I, I, I'd gone from like you know doing, uh, you know, being a PA at at, at Klasky, and and I don't even remember what my next job was in between then. But then getting this opportunity to do the the thing, and so getting on Zim, and so I hadn't been surrounding myself with animation people. Like, oh my God, everyone wants to be on Invader Zim. I just you know wandered in one day as the writer, and there was you know. Uh, the people who who were the writing side is already there, which is basically Rob Hummel and Jonan and then Roman Dirge, who's who had an office next to mine that he wasn't in half the time. And right. um, for a and, brief period, uh, TV's Frank. Oh, yeah. And for a brief period, Frank Conniff, TV's Frank was there, who was who was really God. He's such a funny guy. Oh. And you could tell it was not a good fit almost immediately, which was such a shame because he's so funny, yeah. but in a, in a different way. Um, and uh, now, yeah, so I didn't know that speak, everyone wanted to be on it. Speaking of speaking of good fits, um, boy, once once you really sort of uh, once your feet hit the floor and you were off and running writing, you know, you mentioned earlier finding a voice for the show. I feel like you stood out very early on as someone who spoke the show's language like just fluently and with great you made it look easy, which is always a sign of of someone with a with an exceptional talent because Invaders in, you know, did have its own language. Uh like you know, no one would say things like, you know, shut up. They'd right. say shut your giant gate you know like, yeah shut, shut shut your noise tube or or right or right yeah and um, i mean bad bad rubber piggy that's a that's a fan favorite oh well that's that's very nice of the fans um rusty <laughs> is that a fan favorite would you say I'm, I'm, uh, I'm trying to compensate now no no no. is it i'm not sure no the question i asked earlier was do you have any of those uh, dupont vhs tapes left is what i was <laughs> no asking. no okay. i don't i actually I don't. uh i collect vhs tapes so i was just curious that would be that would be a VHS funny VHS one to have that'd be a really weird funny one to have yeah it was yeah, this Eric... real real quick side side it was this campaign called no till neighbors because nice. they had a no till herbicide the idea was so farmers every year had to till their their soil after the, they got the crops to plow the herbs out i said no you don't need to till your soil anymore you just spray this chemical on it and uh and it'll burn down all the weeds and all the leftover vegetation and then you just let it rot into your soil and then you don't have to till anything so whether this was a good idea or not i don't know all I know is I was paid a very low wage to edit these, and that was my job. So yeah, if <laughs> yeah. you can, Rusty, if you can ever track down, and I guarantee you, I guarantee you, any farmer who got this in the mail, ninety-five percent of them did not watch it. I trashed and, it, yeah. And anyone who did save that tape, the for that tape to still be around somewhere, it would have to have survived how many different like times. In right. your life, you've been like, we got to throw some of this stuff away. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And nobody saves the direct mail VHS tapes. Nobody, nobody saves them. Saves They're hard those. to find. No, yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, for the fans of the show, that's a, that's a task for you guys, too. Go find that's that right. VHS tape. Yes. There you go. Get on go that. hunt it down. Find it for us. That'd be cool. And yeah, I, I guarantee you, there's somebody out there in the world right now watching that tape and doing horrible horrible things while they're watching it oh yeah no i'm, I'm sure there's a farmer who saved it since like 1993 and like in a basement oh, with a there. single naked light bulb on you know cockroaches crawling all over him and he's just watching it over and yeah. mm -hmm. 
yeah, maybe he's like duct taped his 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 ankles to a chair just, you know, on purpose. Watch and- it again. <laughs> yeah, he just bought the last uh, he bought the last remaining conics of Dupoy tapes or the DuPont tapes and he made a chair out of it and that's what he's sitting <laughs> yes, in. He's exactly. sitting in a big chair of tapes. <laughs> I want to be immersed in no-till neighbors. You are all my no-till neighbors now. <laughs> now, now you and I had you and I had um, you know, had sort of fleeting pleasantries at Klasky Chupo, but I don't feel yeah. like really got to know each other until invader zim and i feel mm-hmm. like what wound up being the impetus to all that it, uh, in addition to the fact that everyone on that show i feel like you know was at least uh, of a of a certain mindset in that we all we all like loved the show and thought oh my gosh this is different from anything we'd ever even hoped to work on blah 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 yeah um but right out of the gate we all started playing video games in the break room um yes and and whenever people ask me, you know, what was your favorite part about, you know, uh, working on Invader Zim, I always go back to playing Super Bombad Racing with Eric Trueheart, Sean Murray, uh, Ian and Chris Graham uh, after because you guys would stay like late. And- oh, yeah. Like, you know, how you said you made it look easy. Um, I, I made it look easy by staying very late <laughs> at night. And, and this was back in the day, you know, when if you're a writer part of, and I'm sure as an artist, you deal with this too, but part of it is just learning how to do your craft, you know, in terms of like how to produce and writing is very kind of abstract and kind of hard. And you don't really sort of learn the process of it of until later. And so, you know, I would stay when I had scripts to do, I would stay until three in the morning just to get my pages out, which is something I realized I was making my life far more difficult than it needed to be. Um, and but I was at that point at least smart enough to have had a system in place of like, all right, I need to have like the the rough draft done at least a day before it's actually due, so I can spend the day before cleaning it up. Right. Um, so which is something some people don't learn. Uh, but um, yeah, yeah, we would stay late. All the board artists stayed late too because it was hard boarding. It was as far as I could tell. That's that's why I wanted nothing to do with it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The fun part of it, I will say for the board, you know, you talked to Sean and Graham more than more than all those people more than I did. And Ian um, was that like it felt like whereas other shows wanted to sort of rein the board artists in in a lot of yeah. ways, like, all right, don't do anything too complicated. Don't do anything too weird. You got to like Jonan and the whole show's aesthetic was like, yeah, no, go nuts. You have an idea yeah. for something cool. Do it. And yeah. I think it felt like for a lot of the board artists, it was like their opportunity to go and do stuff that maybe they've always wanted to do. But, you know, oh, yeah really get a chance to do that working on Rugrats, yeah. uh, you know, and, yeah. and so I think when I would go and write stuff, um, I I would know who was boarding it and I would write stuff knowing whether or not the knowing uh, hopefully that the board artists, you know, whether it w- was going to really enjoy this thing, you know, to be like, oh, yeah. oh he's going to really like, I'm going to try to write something that and not on purpose, not like completely steering the story in a different direction, but just being like, oh, I, 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 I bet Ian will like this gag. Right. You know? and, uh, and see, now see, this, this um speaks to something that I've been screaming about for years and years and years is that I, I feel like, um, cause on, you know, when I was at, um, Klasky Chupo, the writers and the board artists never had any contact with one another. I, I couldn't name a single writer for that show. And, and I remember thinking to myself, this is, this is really backwards and wrong. It's like, we mm-hmm. should be collaborating together. And I feel like Invader Zim was the first show I'd ever worked on. And I'd worked on a couple by the time Invader Zim had come along where, you know, 
the board artists and the writers were chumming around with one another. And I, I would watch you guys, you know, interact and I would watch you guys like literally collaborate. And yeah. I think that was one of the major strengths of the show. I no, I absolutely agree. And I am, I am to this day floored by the fact that it is basically standard practice to keep the writers and the artists separate, separate. That's insane to me. Um, and I don't know where that started. I don't know. I mean, I think it may have started like early, early, early days of the Simpsons. Um, it may also started when you have like a different, even, even in Los Angeles, a different animation company doing all of the art while the writers are, you know, hold up some, in some other studio. Um, right. but, and, but it's insane. And it, even on, I was working over at Titmouse on uh, the turbo show and, um, and yeah, and the writers and the artists are in different buildings. And I'm like, first of all, it's Titmouse. It's, you know, the whole place is, looks like a, a an abandoned frat house or something, but, um, right. uh, and I, which I love, but um, I'm like, why are we not like just next to these people? So they can just ask yeah. us questions or they can just, or we can ask them questions or they can give us a hard time. There's this weird, like, like Berlin wall between them where just the two sides will occasionally will meet for these meetings where the directors will talk to the writers about like the script and then, you know, grill. And then if like changes are needed, then there's more negotiations or whatever. And yeah. it wasn't like that at all. I mean, we just, it was great because literally like there was a board art board artist started like a couple of doors down from my office and right. we played video games together. And I, you know, would if I would stay late, I'd walk in and just see how, how Ian, Ian and Chris were doing. And, um, and it was just, uh, yeah, it was crazy. And it was, um, I didn't realize how casual that was. And, you know, he could, uh, and I, I remember Ian just talking to me one time about the challenge. He had to draw a thing where uh, Zim got something out of a out of an Urkin vending machine. And he's like, yeah, you know, so I have to come up with a design, basically, that looks, that reads vending machine, but also reads alien and also is able to do this thing. And just, you know, little things that... Yeah you know you you start to understand the thought processes that go into everybody else's job which is a really really useful thing for for someone to have well and and that that was also the the genesis of yet another um fan favorite episode um yeah. I, I, I know i know i was at least in the room no you well, absolutely I, were you absolutely were you said like, if i believe you you we everyone was sitting around talking about how uh, there should just be an episode to give the board artists a break. Mm -hmm. And that should be super, super easy. And and what did that episode wind up being, Eric? Well, um, I'll tell you, it, it wound up, and, and this is in my book, the medium-sized book of Zim Strips, where I tell the whole story of this, but uh, how this this idea genesis in, in a room full of artists uh, and talking about how they needed a break. Um, I had forgotten it was about needing a break, but I think we talked about it was. Uh, I know that the idea. Let's do something mundane. I it became Zim eats waffles. Yes, and I had been wanting to do. I was trying to see if we could do an episode with the longest single sustained shot of animation <laughs> that had ever been made. Right. Um, I I was like, can we do something where it's like one straight shot? Like, and how long can we? You know, you know, like like the beginning of Goodfellas, where it's the walk right. thing. But this is TV, and we're not going to be able to do like long shots through corridors and and right. and and sh and then Joe Pesci murdering people, um, which was the episode I pitched, just called Joe Pesci murders people originally, <laughs> and they were like, Joe, Joe Pesci's not in this show; he's a real actor. And I'm like, I know, and and we can't really just have people. It's a kids' network; we can't have people. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I know. 
so why did you pitch this? And I said, <laughs> I'm because, uh, and then at that moment, I realized the mistake I had made. Yeah. Um, and I should have caught it earlier. And I felt the blood drain out of me. And and uh, I apologized. And it was, but it wasn't enough. They made me sit in the dark closet for a while, the Nickelodeon orange closet, which is painted orange <laughs> on the inside, but there's no light. So you can't see it. Um, Eric, so, you do the crime. Anyway, you got to do the time. You got to do the time. So um, the walls are just weeping yeah. ooze. <laughs> <laughs> But that yeah. was how Zim Eats Waffles came to be. That's how it came about. And then you said, let's do something mundane. And I think you'd even made a pancakes joke. Uh, you know, and I said, well, wait a minute. What if we do nothing? It's nothing but that, you know, and yeah. why pancakes became waffles or whatever. I don't know. Um, but um, it was I said, well, maybe we can do an episode where it's nothing but that. And then I had to figure out how to set it up, what the actual story was, what the actual conflict was, what the actual stakes were. And so we we um yeah and so that became the zimmy's waffles and I, I i i do chronicle the entire story of of how i figured up the story and then how many how long the longest actually sustained piece of animation was <laughs> right. which is i think it's only like a maybe a minute and a half or something like uh -huh. that is 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 and I'm, so i know we didn't beat a record or anything but oh well uh, yeah but oh well um and <laughs> then yeah and so which actually i mean i want to i'm gonna want to go back to this later but later on you and i wound up working um together uh on yin yang yo yes at, uh, disney which was a real sort of convergence of of everything because i'd worked of course with steve marmel on the fairly odd parents and i had worked yep. with you on invader zim and yep. so uh yin yang yo was a real sort of worlds colliding uh sort of sort yeah. of because but one of one of the one of the script pitches because I got to write on that show as well, and that now that show to me a didn't get its fair shake. It absolutely didn't. B um, that was a show where I would sit in on the writers' meetings. Like I would I would sit with you and Sib and Adria and and uh, Steve and and I would be there for the writers' meetings. But one of the I remember pitching a show idea where it was just uh, yin and yang. And the entire episode took place in their version of the tundra. Um, <laughs> so it was just white, white. ground yeah. the whole time. And I'm like, this is going to be the episode where this is going to be our Zim Eats Waffles. Yeah. Where we're going to be able to catch a breather. We don't have to do any backgrounds. And I, we never got to do it. And I'm still. No. Well, Steve was very, he was very practical when it came to a lot of stuff. Uh, and very impractical when it came to other stuff because he's a very funny guy. Um and a great guy to work for. By the way, all of you out there, if you ever get a chance to work for Steve Marmel, we encourage that you do so. Um, <laughs> but it's a great career move, and it's just a lot of fun. But, um, yeah, I even pitched an idea trying to do this whole, like, long sustained shot thing of a road trip episode where basically the um, the camera would be locked on the back seat where Yin and Yang would be sitting the whole time. Uh -huh. and, um, and, you know, Master Yo would be driving the front and occasionally shouting back to them at one thing or another, but it would be try to just keep a lock-off shot on the backseat <laughs> of the car as, the, you know, as the two of them fought, you know, with each other the whole way to whatever, you know, whatever destination that we're trying to get to. Yeah. Uh, see, con contrary to uh, to what people might think, networks uh, are, are not always that keen to uh, really let you roll the dice on super... Uh, you know, super experimental uh, scripts like that, where where 
you're not following the formula of just uh, bringing the funny mm -hmm. every every second. Yeah, um, which is yeah, which is a shame. By the way, for those who don't know, you've probably talked about Yin Yang Yo on the podcast before. It was a show on Disney XD back then with with uh, um, about two kung fu rabbits and their uh, and their grumpy panda master, uh, created by um, why am I? Whoa, come Bob on, Bob Boyle, Tom Bob Boyle, who went. Yeah, on no, that was that was part of the great uh, the great <laughs> Fairly Odd Parents migration where you know suddenly uh fairly odd parents lost its supervising director me it's uh and it's two co-producers steve marmel and, and bob boyle all to go over onto uh rusty did you ever watch yin yang yo did i actually uh i'm gonna do uh, i'm gonna do the justice of the podcast here and in, in the in the essence of uh research and and history i'm gonna go back into the archives and pull that one out and watch it again for <laughs> sure i've never seen it so i won't be watching it again i'll be watching it for the first time but uh my sister knows it my sister has mentioned oh. knowing it so does, does she have any positive things to say about it, or is she just incensed that it's even existence? Uh, she just knows that it existed. She was a little bit too okay. old for it as well around the time that it came out. She's six years younger than me, and I'm 32. So we're all around yep. the age for some of these shows, but uh, yep. like Fairly Odd Parents, stuff like that for sure. Invader Zim, definitely. I was nine when it came out. So yeah, for sure, those kind of shows. But uh, I think we're, I was just a little too old. My I was definitely mm -hmm. way too old. For, if I was watching Yin Yang Go at that time, there was definitely... Uh, definitely something wrong i was i was uh yep. way way far away from cartoons you, you were you were deep into the woods uh, lighting off fireworks at that point i'm guessing illegal fireworks and, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you know uh no, that's that that's, that's you good, know, that's smoking weed that sort of drinking thing. booze chasing women that kind of thing not really paying attention so well, actually i have i have a lighting few questions tire fires behind the 7-eleven yeah that kind of no, stuff that, big tire fires just me? No, okay. no, i was i was participating in i, I participated in a tire fire too maybe uh, allegedly. <laughs> so my questions for you mainly were surrounding some, some really off the wall kind of stuff. Uh, I I've tried to find it online, but I couldn't, uh, stoners versus zombies. Oh, you won't find that online. Yeah. Uh, I didn't think I would. I tried to find it. I didn't think I would, but, uh, there's nothing, there's nothing. I'll tell you about that. By the way, if you hear like lawn mower, I don't know if you can hear like the lawn mower no, that's no, going no, by the hear. yard nearby here. So, um, if you do just know, it, 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 it wasn't my idea. It's a wood chipper, wood chipper with Steve Buscemi's body in it. Yeah, no, every time. <laughs> um, it turns out those are hard to get a hold of in 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 bulk. Uh, yeah, so no, Stoner versus Zombies, and this is for for people who 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 work outside Hollywood. Is 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 one of the many 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 projects in Hollywood that get optioned and then don't get produced. Um, and, and this is what they call development, uh, in the, if you, if you're reading like whatever website you're getting your entertainment news, say, well, currently in development is, right. you know, this, yeah. uh, movie about your favorite obscure Marvel character, uh, and this actor is attached and, and it will probably never happen. Um, <laughs> because, um, yeah, the way development works and all. So anyway, long story short, I wrote at a writing partner I'd went to school with. Uh, and we wrote Stoners versus Zombies. We were back when we were writing spec scripts, spec features, hoping we could get a feature gig. And um, yeah, it's about a um, uh, it's about a, a small town in the middle of a small desert town where everybody is extremely just well behaved and like you know uh, clean cut, fresh face, you know, uh, on board with everything you know that society is handing them. And, you know, except for these two guys, uh, what were their names? One was Moondog. The other was Ike and Moondog, 
who were basically the town's resident stoner high school kids. <laughs> yeah. Taking place of high school kids. And um uh and they just and and it's prom, it's the prom is coming up. It's like the 18th birthday, and they're like, fuck the prom, man. You know, like like maybe like some of us were in, uh, when we were in high school, like prom's stupid, we're not gonna do this conformist garbage, and they're huge weed heads, and um, so they they're going to throw the anti-prom, you know, up in this abandoned lot. And of course, nobody shows up because everybody is too town. Well, long story short, um, a zombie outbreak happens during the prom. And as as you soon discover, um, the only people immune to it are the stoners uh, because <laughs> marijuana makes you immune to the zombie virus. Yeah, and naturally. so the people left to save the town are Ike and Moondog and like the local, um, you know, like punk punk lesbian girl written back in a day when that was really hard thing to be and uh, the cheerleader who was secretly a stoner and the shop teacher um who at the time we imagined would be great if it was played by bruce campbell um (laughs) who was also a lifelong stoner and there's you discover a whole uh, uh underground plot to um turns out the reason everyone is so happy and smiley all the time is because uh there's a secret government um uh, nice. plan to try to drug people into being you know in, in into being uh conformist uh and unfortunately that drug goes wrong and turns everybody into zombies and the only solution is to smoke weed in fact i think if in the thing if you can get a zombie to smoke weed it will it will cure them so it's, <laughs> that's it's funny this is this, this, like this pro stoner ideology that's funny, the, the, yeah i know this is and this is this is what and i think this is one of the reasons why i i um instantly enjoyed your company when i started to get to know you is because uh, one of the things you and I have in common is I I, I recognized in you, um, you have lots of ideas. Like you have lots and lots of ideas. Um, uh, I mean, correct oh, me. Don't if worry, I'm that wrong. quality has been beaten out of me by the entertainment. Well, sure. <laughs> no, no. You talk about development. It's called development hell for a reason. Mm. Um, development, as as Eric said, it's this it's this phase where you're sort of making the show but not really and they can mm-hmm. cut you loose at, at any time but uh, you know uh uh one of one of the things that that uh, i recognized about you when when i met you right away is that you you had lots of ideas and you were out there to hustle them and mm-hmm. and i i mean that in the best of all because i was doing the exact same thing like you yeah, and i you were, you were a total hustler yeah. um and one of the things that you had done at the time that I recall just watching and seeing with with complete just awe and amazement that I thought was really great was the Ministry of Unknown Science. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. Which was which was sort of you and your pals, uh, you know, kids in the hall sort of sketch comedy thing. And and was that that was in development for a while, was it not? Well, yeah, yeah, no. So it's for the for those who who didn't happen to live in Los Angeles in the early two thousands and uh, and didn't happen to go down to the warehouse where we were doing these shows. Um, yeah, the Ministry of Unknown Science was a sketch comedy group that it, we did with with three of my friends and um, you know and 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 every all the other of our creative friends who like wanted to edit or direct things or shoot things. And we were doing a a multimedia comedy experience. You know, we were inspired by things like you know, obviously everyone of our generation inspired by Monty Python and that. And it was basically yeah. a, a sketch comedy show loosely based around uh, a, a narrative that went through it. And uh, four scientists in a secret uh, a secret lab developing things that always sort of went wrong. 
And, you know, and so, uh, you know, a scene with the four scientists would transition into a scene with a sketch just, you know, by right. with sort of link. So it was like a little bit like Mr. Show, but with uh, with a, a, a story running through it. And it was all multimedia, too. Like we would shoot videos and we were on stage, right. you know, and then so you'd walk off stage into a video and, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. And um, yeah, and it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of work. And some of the videos we had to take down um, because, you know, th there's some jokes in there that aren't really appropriate for now that that, that, that that don't seem wrong, but seem kind of tone deaf by, by today's <laughs> standards. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, they're not racist, but they are tone deaf, which is like um, we had back in that day. There was a lot of talk about people complaining about they're sending our jobs to Mexico. And <laughs> so we did an episode. Our pilot episode that we did was about the ministry having to outsource their space program to Mexico uh, because of budget cuts. And, you know, so we get uh, a, a person uh, uh, who's uh, named Lopez who wants to become he calls it a Mexinaut. Um, and it's one of these sort of things where it's like it's based on politics. We're not talking down. We're not punching down. Right. But it does seem kind of tone deaf these days to be making those kind of jokes. So we kind of had to take it down. And um, and by the way, we sold a uh, Mexican space program, Mexinaut shirt at the shows. And I know friends, so many people, including Jonan himself, who is Latino, yeah. um, you know, said said I have Latino friends. And that was like their favorite shirt for a oh, long time. Oh, undoubtedly. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. you know, so much has changed since then. But now um I uh, see those those shirts are probably collectors items now. It's, yeah, if any exist, right? What so. um after after I had seen that and then I I you know um read some more of your scripts and stuff like that and it was just it was clear very early on that you were a funny guy. I I can't remember how it, it was not that long after we had started working together on Invader Zim that uh you and I got it in our heads that we were going to do a one man show together. That's right. You were, was it did, all the Stan Lee stuff? The, the yeah, Stan, Stan Lee, a one man show. Yes, because we both did Stan Lee impressions, right? And uh, and yours was particularly awesome. Well, we were we were gonna write it together, and and um, it it was just one of those stupid things where where two knuckleheads at work, you know, just sort of mess around together, and and we would just improvise these little, you know. Uh, bits of Stanley going. It was at that time that Kirby <laughs> yeah. came into my office, <laughs> and his pants were around his ankles. <laughs> he said, "In this panel, we're gonna have Wolverine eating a pie made out of human thumbs." <laughs> and Excelsior! Excelsior! And, and then he would take a shot moment with I knew it would be a Titanic hit. Right. Yeah. And and it, it seemed so ridiculous at the time, but now I wish we'd done it. That's I know. I speaking of thumbs, though, uh, speaking of thumbs, that kind of leads me into my 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 final. The only the last question I had for you was uh, about the uh, Steve Odekirk uh, thumb stuff, the thumb the thumb tannic and yes. all that stuff. I, I just had a small part, I mean, on those okay. things, but I knew, um, long story short, I was friends with the guy who was Steve Odekirk's producer named Paul Marshall. Uh, Steve Odekirk, by the way, like he directed Second Ace Ventura movie. He'd been a writer on In Living, was it In Living Color? Yeah, it was In and Living Color was where he had started. Yeah, that was like his, his yeah. writing career. He went on to do Kung Pao, Enter the Fist. That's great. That's seen. gold. That's uh, that's one of my favorite like teenage movies. I remember mm -hmm. uh, I remember being like 15, sneaking out back to smoke a joint, to sneak inside, and then watch Kung Pao a hundred times over and over and over. <laughs> yes. 
Oh yeah. And Steve Odeker, he was a really funny guy and really nice guy. And, and that's the thing. If Kung Pao was like one of those passion projects he wanted to do for a long time. And when he finally got to do it, I mean, that's the thing. That was one of those movies that is definitely a cult movie coming out. You just know, and it got terrible reviews, but the whole point was that, well, of course it's going to get terrible reviews. It doesn't matter. It's not about that. But I think the studios weren't happy with him for that, but just the fact that that's (laughs) one of his contributions to comedy, I think should enshrine him forever. But he did the thumbtanic where he figured out, because he was big into technology and what you could do in animation. Um, he, and he figured out how to do thumbs, um, you know, basically use at the time after effects to do something that these days probably your phone will do automatically, yeah. uh, which is put the eyes on a thumb and on a mouth. And so I did um, a bunch of um, just small bit parts throughout all this, his thumb stuff. <laughs> I think I may have thrown a couple of pitch gags uh, at, at, at a script or two. And then um, I am actually and I'm sure this is lost forever. Um, on the DVD for, uh, for Thumb Wars, I did a, they put, I was, my chin was Gabba the butt, uh, which was, um, not a butt. It was my chin. And so it was upside down shot. And I, at the time, because I was in makeup and getting loopy, um, for a long time, I started just improvising, uh, the actor at Gabba the butt as though he run inside the actor's studio. And so he did a very long monologue. I, my name, you know, it's just, and this whole sort of like Gabba the Butt interview. That's um, hilarious. That I guess they they liked and they kept and they stuck it as an extra on the DVD. Nice. But I That's will great. be. I, I just found all, it actually for $5, the DVD online. Uh, the <laughs> yeah, Thumb Wars, so the Phantom Cuticle. Me, and I'm yeah, I'm ordering if it. If you want to see yeah. me as, as Gabba the Butt behind the scenes. Um, right. I do believe that that is on there as an extra. Oh, I'm definitely so. ordering it. Yeah, no, that's that's All happening. Right. Yeah. <laughs> now, one of one of the things that um, that um, I want to talk to you about today, because this this is this also is something that has um, come up uh, in conversations with with fans of Invader Zim and fans f- people who want to break into the industry in general. Mm-hmm. Is I feel like um, uh, because whenever anyone asks me you know uh who are your favorite writers like you're on my mount rushmore oh, favorite people you. to work to work with you're i'm on not on my list but you know <laughs> <laughs> um but one one of the things that i think um throws a lot of people off is first of all i feel like writing is one of those things that a lot of people think they can do but they can't yeah it's you know, like until you sit down not, to do it it's becomes... not writing that's typing yeah it's yeah and, and um one of the things because one of the other capacities that you and i worked together in was i got a show that got thrown into development hell warner brothers for a long time called nightmare hunters which was an awesome awesome show well i'm i'm actually i'm I'm actually doing it independently now so oh right on oh what was what was interesting about that experience was right out of the gate now now see this i've talked about this on the show before i consider myself a very good writer um, cause yeah. I also, I also, yeah. you know, have a degree in, in journalism. I took English and I, I did lots and lots of creative writing in college and I'm, I'm very disciplined in the art of writing. However, uh, I'm a terrible screenwriter mm. and there is, there is a difference because, and, and people who want to write for cartoons think that they, they just need to be good writers. And it's like, no, you have to be a good screenwriter. And I was wondering if yeah. you, if you could speak to the differences between those two things. Um, no, 
Okay, yes. great. Yes, I can. Um, great show. <laughs> yeah. Good night, everybody. Um, I could, but then the WGA would have to murder me. Uh, <laughs> no, I can. And that's the thing is that is that there's like, you know, writing is one of the most and back up a little bit. Yeah. You know, like everyone sort of thinks they can write until they actually have to write something. Uh, the advantage of you that you have, John, being an artist, is that everybody knows almost immediately if they can't draw, um, you know, and uh, and and you also know, though, that it takes a lot of practice and a lot of just doing it to to really become good at it. And and also doing it for animation is also its own set of skills in the same way that 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 screenwriting is its own set of skills. And and it, screenwriting is drama writing. It's dramatic writing in terms of, you know, and even comedy in terms of figuring out scene structure and conflict and just, you know, kind of you know i heard one guy kind of refer to it as a haiku you're trying to figure out the most efficient way to get the ideas of stories across and even the ideas of dialogue across and you know and and having faith when you're writing the the script that the actors are going to carry the meaning of the dialogue whereas every screenwriter their first time overwrites everything um writes way more than they need but um yeah so like screenwriting is its own um i mean writing if you just want to do creative writing and think that's great it's very that that in itself is very you know a, a kind of right brain depending on how you're doing it and and but screenwriting has a huge left brain component to it and of figuring out structure and figuring out that sort of stuff and it can sort of drive you a little bit mad trying to use your right and ref, left brains at the same time um so like and at the same time you can become the sort of screenwriter who is so uh into the structure and the rules and the left brain that what you end up making can be a little bit boring or you know predictable or or, or doesn't really you know get into anything too crazy so right. yeah um you know screenwriting is is the shortest way to think of screenwriting is dramatic writing right. and drama is based around conflict and stakes and you know, basically, a character wants something, um, and they're they're opposed in getting it either by another character or by circumstances or by uh, something about themselves, and then they're working to overcome those obstacles to get whatever it is they want in the face of some kind of stakes that is what they have to gain to what they have to lose, you know, and the stakes can be physical. Like uh, if I don't rescue the baby, the baby is going to die, or they can be even emotional. Like if I don't, you know if I don't get on the, uh, on the, uh, on the, on the basketball team, my dad is going to think I'm worthless, um, <laughs> you know, and, and all that sort of stuff. And, or, you know, if, if, which is why in Zim eats waffles, we can't just do a show where Zim does nothing but eat waffles. It has to be about Dib planting the right. camera in Zim's house, desperately wanting to get something, not getting it, calling right. up, trying to come up with all these ways to, try to get it you know you're dealing with his frustrations of not getting it the stakes right. are there because he's told the swollen eyeball guys this really <laughs> great thing is happening and they're like constantly dib you're an idiot if you bother us again so like you know and then you know he calls the fbi you know and then we get room for all the jokes of like you know the demon squid getting loose and it is sort of like dib, dib's like oh my god i got this footage and the camera gets knocked over and he doesn't get the footage of it and so you know it, it's the difference between you know, just, okay, we'll just have Zim eating a plate of waffles for 11 minutes and right. <laughs> shit, we got to build a story around it. And, See, know, and that's the thing. Really I think, great. I think so many people just think it's a matter of, Ooh, doo -doo -doo, here's my script. And this happens mm -hmm. and that happens. There's a lot more thought that goes into even yeah. 
even the simplest of ideas. So I got yeah, one more and you need, uh, like back structure and stuff too. Yeah, 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 for sure. So I got one more. Uh, I guess in uh, in wrapping this up, I got one more quick uh, question for you. Uh, how did your alcoholic beverage come about? Being your uh, your whiskey and cola, I was kind of interested in that. I uh, I saw that you're you're affiliated with oh, some, yeah. some some beverage um, here. That is still very much uh, in our in our public uh, in our in our in our forefront of our consciousness um, because it this is a tough business to turn a profit in. Um, mm-hmm. You think it wouldn't be, but it but it is very very well, very plug very the hell out of it. Yeah, plug it. Yeah, um, send me some. And so yeah, I, I will. Uh, <laughs> my partner Samantha and I, um, uh, my 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 common law wife Samantha. Um, and myself, she had this idea during the pandemic, we wanted to do something, you know, we were, we were also kind of feeling, you know, the doldrums. And also I was feeling a little bit like, I don't know if I want to continue in this entertainment business that's driving me crazy. And we came up with this idea and, and we're, I'm a huge cocktail head, a huge cocktail aficionado, um, you know, thing, learning about stuff like death and company and, and those cocktail crafters from, you know, mixologists and stuff like that. I'm fascinated by that. We're also both of us fascinated by old school sodas and old school craft colas. If if you live in Los Angeles, there's a place called Galco's pop stop, which is a little store up in uh, Eagle rock or, or, or it's, uh, it's it's funny. You mentioned sodas and artisan sodas and stuff like that. I actually, uh, this is, uh, I'm actually recording this podcast live from the home of Dr. Pepper. So like the actual city where Dr. Pepper was created in Dr. Pepper and big red were created in the town that uh, we're recording from. So there you go. What, What town is that? Waco, Texas. Oh, right on. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, someone's telling me that the, the there's the Dublin bottling plant in uh, is Dub- is Dublin. Yeah, Texas? Uh, it's in Dublin, Texas. Yeah. yeah, there is a bottling plant there. There was a lot of controversy and actually a legal battle they had with the main corporation of Dr. Pepper, the Snapple Group, because they were bottling and selling their Dr. Pepper and labeling it. You know, hey, this is special Dr. Pepper and uh, Dublin yep. Dr. Pepper kind of thing. So yeah, that's uh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and I saw the Dublin Dr. Pepper at Galco's. They were and he yeah. came. Hey. They we got the Dublin Dr. Pepper, you know, which I guess is like the original recipe or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's just so. sugar instead of corn syrup. That's the only thing it was. It was just that's sugar. Instead of, that's That okay. was it. So you could still get the sugar Dr. Pepper with the real sugar in it. So you could still essentially get the Dublin Dr. Pepper, but it's not bottled in Dublin any. You know, it's, it's not being bottled in the same place. But they have their oh, own yeah. colas and drinks that they make now. So they manufacture their own line of sodas that they, uh, they market out of Dublin. I'm I'm sitting here enjoying my Invader Zim uh, exclusive um, uh, beer. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> remember these? Autographed by Jonah Vasquez. Jonah Vasquez, do you still have the crew mug that I gave out at Christmas? Oh, oh, you mean? There yes. you go. A Zim garnish in it. It's it's delightful. Yeah, I I I, I, I Jonah's head. Um, Side note: Before I I, I I I answer more of your questions about the thing, yeah, the um, when we worked on Yin Yang Yo to show you how much Disney didn't care about us, um, <laughs> so I I for one one for one for Christmas I had some custom mugs made, much like I did for Zim, uh, Yin Yang Yo mugs, and gave them out to everybody, and um, so then you know, and the show you know goes on, it, it gets canceled as as most shows do eventually, and um, later I'm back in the Disney offices there to pitch something, and I look over and they have. Uh, a, a glass case displaying the merchandise from all the various shows that they've done recently. And so there's like Kim Possible action figures. And I think there's some Power Rangers stuff in there. And then, and then I get to the Yin Yang Yo stuff. And in there, to show you how little they gave a shit, um, is a uh, is a backpack. 
a yin yang <laughs> backpack, which was never sold, which was given out as like a swag thing to some kids. Uh, maybe some pencils or perhaps like, I don't know, a, a bottle of yin yang yo whiteout or something. And then in it too was the coffee mug I gave everyone for Christmas. <laughs> wow. I'm like, really? That's the thing you put in? Wow. I, I did that. That's yeah, not, you, there's you, no merchandise there. You had those made with your own money. I know. So I, I oh, should have passed no. the glass and taken it back, but um, I had a meeting. You, you, that's that's the kind of guy Eric is, though. He he goes out of his way to uh, I go awesome. out of my way to smash the glass on cases and steal things back. There you go. But see now now <laughs> here you are a beverage on tour. Yeah. So it's, well, I'll I'll tell you about it. Okay. So oh, yeah. John just froze. And how delicious is it? Oh, oh John just you're back. You yeah, froze for a second. And now I think second, Rusty's yeah. fro- no Rusty hasn't frozen. I'm just um, I'm just really still sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's very zen of you, and um, that's a skill. Uh, that some people don't have, um, particularly me. Uh, so, yes, it is called Grizzly's Cosmic Black. G-R-I-S-L-Y-S, as in a grizzly okay. murder, cosmic black, as you would expect it to be written. Uh, you can see our website at grizzlyscosmic.com. Again, G-R-I-S-L-Y-S, cosmic.com. Um, and what it is, is it is a, we set out to make, so canned cocktails were getting huge at the time. And yeah. um, as a cocktail aficionado, I was like, this is cool. Um, we set out to make the most delicious, basically, whiskey and Coke. Okay. Um, our feeling was that that's the, the, the classic quote, Jack and Coke, is one of the most basic cocktails that a lot of, you know, a lot of people start on that. That's the most basic cocktail you can. You know, it's from the day yeah. you got handed a red solo cup at a party in college where somebody poured Jack Daniels and and and, a, and some Coca-Cola in there. And uh, to the fact, you know, going to shows at bars where the easy just to order a Jack and Coke over the bar and stuff like that. And our feeling was nobody had taken on doing like an elevated gourmet or dare i say artisanal uh version of this and so we set out to make that and also to make um the um also wrap it in a in a a packaging that was super cool and awesome and hardy and out there and weird and and to this i owe owe samantha a lot of a lot of uh, uh debt for her creative energy of just sort of driving this stuff and 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 that and she uh, you know she was like oh i know we can get these artists and stuff and so we created grizzly's cosmic black we used a an aged high rye bourbon we didn't use like you know malt alcohol with bourbon flavor we spent a lot of time engineering our our own cola recipe uh based on which some people compared to fentonman's cola as it turns out that was not our intention but uh it, it is that kind of level and because we live in a time where uh, people are trying to watch their sugar intake and obviously things like hard seltzer are really popular, um, is that it uh, it has no sugar added. It has a uh, it is an artificial sweetener. So if you don't like artificial sweeteners, you probably – well, actually, I have a lot of friends who don't like artificial sweeteners who actually like this. And so we have Grizzly's Cosmic Black, which is a canned either gourmet hard cola or gourmet bourbon and cola, elevated bourbon and cola, whatever you want to call it. And I will say we've won some awards – um, we have, um, uh, we get a lot of positive response from people yeah. who drink it. They say it's delicious. They love it. Um, we've not gotten any attention. Oh, and, and, uh, um, our, our mascot is a, uh, is a, 
is a is a is a character named Grizzly Eddie who is a deep space Yeti. He is a Yeti oh, from nice. another dimension who has brought this nice. this delight to Yeah, Earth. I was going to uh I was going to buy some but they don't there's no uh there's no distribution in Texas uh for for it. I'd want to, yeah, want to buy some. Yeah, if you want to so. buy it in Texas, first of all, I got to hook you up with a friend of mine who sometimes brings some in, but uh-huh. you have to there's a way to buy it. So I'll give everyone this link to get our thing because okay. recently our sort of e-commerce has been a pain in the neck and has been in flux, but if you want to get it, go to our link tree which okay. is that, you know, L-A-N-K-T-R dot E-E. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Grizzlies Cosmic, G-R-I-S-L-Y-S-C-A-O-S-M-I-C. Okay. And there's a link. If you live in California, it's easier to get. If you live in New York City, it's pretty easy to get. Everywhere else, you have to go through another company called Royal Batch that ships stuff all over the country. Uh, but the downside is shipping liquid is expensive. Yeah, it and is actually, so, it is actually very And if you're yeah. like the sort of person who's ordering an $80 bottle of scotch, Throwing $15 on the top of that is not really anything you think twice about. If you're ordering a $15 box of uh, of whiskey and cola cans, throwing it down another $15 is something you might balk at. So we, it's a problem, and this is sort of why this is just every single alcohol uh, manufacturer in in the country deals with this of like yeah. how do you get stuff to I actually to work for a wine distribution company, so I understand some of the logistics and stuff behind it, what you're oh, talking yeah. about. Yeah, so... Oh, that's awesome. All, all of our listeners need to move heaven and earth to get just crates and crates and crates of this stuff. We would not <laughs> object. Um, and here's what I'll say. Um, I think if you get a, if you order it from Royal Batch, there's still like a, a, there's a little bundle still where you get a, a really cool little beanie hat. Um, if you live in California, you can get it delivered for much cheaper. In California, it's like six bucks to deliver it. And if you're within certain areas of Los Angeles, they'll drive it to your door. Um, some doodles show up and, uh, and if you <laughs> don't like dealing with uh, other human beings, you can just pretend not to be home and it'll leave it there. Actually, though, they got to talk to you, um, because it's booze, but, um, yeah, <laughs> you know, go to our link tree and you can buy it either nationwide yeah. or you can buy it in, in, in California. Yeah. I'm going to give me a case. Uh, I want to I try yeah, some of it. I don't not... really drink alcohol, but, uh, I'm going to try it just in the sake yeah. of, we will have, we will have the link in the description people. Cool. It's um, low ABV. It's only 6% alcohol by volume. So you nice. will not get blackout drunk um, unless you drink a lot of them, I, uh, which we don't necessarily recommend um, because. Here, but I, I, yeah. Yes. Before, before we go, um, I, I, you know, I, I've sort of made it a tradition of mine um, with our one other guest that we've had before to uh, always end the interview with uh, one really, really uncomfortable question that puts our guest in a, a really awkward position. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm gonna do that to you now because this is the question that I get asked most about Invader Zim and I would I would love for you to either confirm or deny it. Okay. Um, if there had been another season of the show, was it in fact going to be Invader Dib? That's in my book. By the way, so you know. Okay, where do we get your book, book? My book is called The Medium-Sized Book of Zim Scripts, um, which has a bunch of scripts in there and the stories of how they came to be. Um, you can get it on Amazon. I'd rather you didn't. You can get it on Book Baby. I'll get more money. Um, and I think the, the coupon code on my website might still be valuable. But if you go to, it's like tiny URL slash pig waffles, it'll take you to the Book Baby link. And, um, you know, if if you're willing to spend the extra money on the book, baby, I I tell you that um, it it helps independent publishing and and that extra money does go to the author as opposed to like Amazon in which I get like three dollars or something for everyone sold. So, yeah, the answer to that question is F you. No, the answer (laughs) to that question for all you want is no. 
Um, and but with 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 the following caveat. So everybody talks about Invader Dib and everybody talked about they were going to end the series with Dib going to Urk and it was going to be Invader Dib and it was going to, um, you know, be full of explosions and pigs and and, <laughs> and and dog fuckery or whatever, you know, and not that, but um, and bees. And, yeah, bees. And then here's the here's the Invader Dib thing they, they were talking about. We would make a joke. And I think this came out of out of Jonan or, or, or Rob or something like that. But it was like. Someone said, "Oh yeah, what's if you ever did a movie, what'd you do?" It's like I don't know. We'd go like Dib would go to it would it would Dib it'd be Invader Dib. It would go to Earth. Is that? But but really, the reason we kept making the joke was this: was that originally the title of Invader Zim was Invader Colon Zim, and so it was Invader Colon Zim, which got dropped pretty early on. And actually, early on in the scripts, we were sort of like, "Do we put a colon in the when we're writing on the title? Do we do that?" So um, the joke was. So it would be in, Invader colon Zim colon the movie colon Invader <laughs> colon Dib. So it was really a joke about how many colons we could put in one title. Um, so, and, and, you know, and so, no, there were never any plans to bring Dib to Urk and make it Invader Dib. Um, I mean, who knows if it had gone on that long, eventually it's possible that, that you know, Jonan might have come around to actually wanting to do that idea. But I don't want to say yes or no. By the way, if I, the whole time I'm looking to the side because that's just where my microphone is. I hope you understand that. Um, so it's possible that maybe in theory it would have come around to do that. But um, no, that was never serious. That was never, ever serious. Um, well, then, regardless, I would encourage everybody to get the book because, yeah, uh, sure. again, as someone who was sort of a fly on the wall uh, himself during the uh, Invader Zim days, the stories behind um, all these episodes uh, is got to yeah, be a great read. I'll include the link to the uh, the beverage and the book in uh, oh, thank you both much. the description that's, below. That's very cool. Yeah. And, uh, well, yeah. Eric, yeah, I think you'll enjoy the book. Yes, John. Yes, Rusty. No, I, I just, I, 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 um, I'm not handed over to, to Rusty to uh, wrap us up, but, but, you know, before any of that happens, I want to be sure to say, my gosh, it's good to see you again. It's good to see uh, you. I have not seen you in years. My, uh, I have not set foot in Los Angeles in many, many, many years. But thank you for coming on the show. And and I, I don't think I'm speaking out of school if I say we'd love to have you on again. There's more. There's more stories to tell. Oh yeah, for uh, sure. I would happily be on again after everyone has forgotten about me being on <laughs> and how disappointed they were. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I'd love to do it again. I I, I can talk about um, random shit for ages, as I'm sure you know to your peril. Yeah, love it. No, I love it. I loved every bit of it. And uh, 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 so, is there, is there anything that you got that you want to plug? Any current projects? Anything like that before uh, I sign off? Or let me think. I mean, just just uh, grizzliescosmic.com. And okay. uh, if you Google up the medium sized book of Zim scripts at Book Baby, Book Baby, um, that's bookbaby.com. Yeah. I've got other things sort of I'm working on, but nothing that's being released right now, okay. you know. So. Nah, I'm not. I'll just plug those things. <laughs> there you go. And, that's perfect. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Get your books and booze. Books get and booze. Books and booze. So uh, do, do go in order. Yeah. So order the book, uh, bookbaby.com. Uh, that's uh, the medium sized book of Zim Scripts, Volume One Pigs and Waffles. Right? Hmm. Nice. Okay. That is absolutely then, correct, uh, sir. And then you have the beverage, Grizzly's Cosmic Black. So get your beverage, get your book, sip and read a little bit, and. Uh, dive into some uh some zim scripts yep. so uh again again thank you 
for uh, participating in the animation conversation with us. We do appreciate you being on, and uh, uh, I guess that's it. That's been another episode of the animation conversation. I'm uh, I'm Rusty, and and this is your old pal F saying zig zig ah party people. Hey guys, you can find us at Instagram and Twitter at Animation Convo. You can find us on YouTube at Animation Conversation. And you can email us at theanimationconversation at gmail.com. Join us again for another Animation Conversation. This podcast is produced by Rogue Media Network. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.